we're not reading the Bible through Jesus and we're taking everything as equal and giving everything uh, the same weight and taking it at its face value, the Bible's an incoherent text. How can you say, listen to the cries of the poor without looking at what makes them poor? You don't have to believe certain things to be part. The irony is that you can be pro-guns, pro-death penalty, pro-military, anti-environment, and still say you're pro-life. But people get really uncomfortable. It's like they want to have their religion and they want to have their porn. They want to do both. I don't think any form of Christianity deserves to survive and thrive if it doesn't come to terms with the racism of our past. When we really tell the story of Jesus, we find a God who comes to the point where it has all collapsed. If a good teacher is to get a student to get the right answers on the test, and if Jesus was supposed to get us to get the right answer for when we die, then can we just be honest and say, not a good teacher? Believe it or not, the holidays are right around the corner, and I don't know about you, but when it gets to the holidays, my health and nutrition tends to go out the window. So let's be proactive with that and reach out to Angie Niska with Rise Nutrition and get our free wellness profile just for Jesus Never Ran listeners. You can find her on Facebook at Rise Menominee. That's Angie Niska with Rise Nutrition. Hey friends, I am your host, Matt Kinzara, and in order to make this world a better place, we need to do more coming together and we need to start being less divisive. So today we're going to talk about a reality that Jesus said a prayer once and it never got answered and the answer lies with us. Now, when we're talking about Jesus praying, we often focus on the Lord's prayer and that's where Jesus teaches us how to pray but it's not actually Jesus praying. He's basically saying, hey, if you're gonna pray, you should pray something like this. And then he goes into the Lord's Prayer. So it's not actually Jesus praying, it's Jesus teaching us how to pray. But there is one time that's documented in the Bible, in the New Testament of the Bible, where it's actually Jesus praying. And we find that in the book of John, and it's in chapter 17. And during a portion of that prayer, Jesus actually prays for us. We could look at it and say Jesus in this section of the prayer is actually praying for us like you and me. Here's what it says. This is John 17 verses 20 through 23. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So he's saying my prayer is not just for the disciples and people that were alive with him, but also the people that would believe in Jesus through their message, which is most of us that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, may they be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So it's fair to say that this prayer that Jesus prayed for us, and again, it's the only documented prayer that we have from Jesus. It's not the only time he prayed. It's just the only time that we actually have what it is that he was saying while he was praying. And in this one prayer that we have from Jesus, we see that he prays for us. And when he prays for us, he prays something very singular. He prays that we would be unified, so unified, so together, that it would be like Jesus and God the Father. That's what he's saying there. He's saying, I pray that they would be so connected just as I'm connected with my heavenly father, which is a big prayer, I would say. 
So we are the only ones responsible for answering that prayer, right? Because if we can live a life that's unified, the prayer gets answered. Here's the problem. We are failing miserably. And ever since Jesus said that prayer, we have been failing miserably. Throughout history, people who call themselves Jesus followers, Christians, whatever you call yourself to represent that you follow Jesus or believe in this God, we have failed. We have failed for thousands of years, and we've been failing well before that. Humanity has been failing. So I don't think I probably need to give you any examples. I doubt there's anybody listening right now that's shaking their head like, Matt's crazy. There's no way that we're not unified. (laughs) But just to be clear, and in case you are thinking I'm crazy, let me give you some examples. Okay, so (laughs) maybe this is the most obvious one. Politics. In America, and I know not everybody listening listens from America, but I'm in America. So in America, there's a two-party system, basically. There's other parties for sure that you'll see on the ticket. But in general, it's this big two-party system. And each side throughout the time that I've been alive has become more and more extreme And because many of us feel like we're forced to choose, because again, it's one or the other when we're voting, because many of us feel like we have to choose, what I often hear is people saying that they're choosing the lesser of two evils. I can't tell you how many times I hear that phrase within an election time, especially a presidential election time. So people often say we're choosing the lesser of two evils evils as we vote for one party or the other. So the candidate, either the Democrat candidate or the Republican candidate. Media then, of course, again, not telling you anything you don't know, but media digs in on like the super polarizing views. They never focus on the space that seems like similar. They always focus on the extreme polarizing views, which then often causes people on one side or the other to believe those who are on the other side are like batshit crazy. And so over the past at least two presidential elections, these are the ones that are fresh in my mind, over those two elections, so many friendships and families have become fractured over politics. All right, let me bring up the other obvious and hot button issue right now, which is COVID. And maybe more specifically, vaccinations. This has also, I suppose, become a political issue in a lot of ways. People are just choosing the science and the voices that they side with. And so they're they're pushing forward, and a lot of us are guilty of it, right? We're pushing forward the science and the voices that are backing the side that we believe in. And again, this is where it's becoming quite political at this point. Facebook, you want to talk about social media within the context of this, Facebook has become like this haven for people to gather their tribe of followers to claim the other side is ignorant. And so a lot of people on social media, specifically Facebook, are kind of gathering these little tribes and they're, you know, they're rallying each other up around claims that they believe to be true. But then Almost universally, not everybody, but so many of these posts and so many of these conversations that are happening on social media are not only trying to bolster what they believe to be true, but are also so quick to claim the other side is ignorant. This too has fractured so many friendships. It's fractured so many families over the past couple of years. Since we're on hot button, items let's just let's keep it rolling because that's what we do on this podcast so how about abortion 
The evangelicals have picked this as their hill to die on for decades and decades now. Not since the beginning of evangelicalism, but definitely for, we'll call it four to five decades. And they've definitely picked this as one of their couple of hills to die on, calling those who don't agree with them things like murderers. That seems harsh. And those who are in favor of legalized abortions claim people on the other side don't value women and their ability to choose what they do with their bodies. Neither of those accusations seem completely true, do they? I mean, I think we all probably know people on both sides of this issue. And to call one side murderers and the other side saying that they don't value women seems a little bit extreme. Pro-lifers picket regularly with pictures of aborted fetuses. They're picketing with pictures of dead babies on the streets where people with toddlers and kids and families are passing by, right? And extremists even have tried many, many, many times to injure professionals carrying out the procedures. And pro-choice advocates treat the opposing side as if they are, I mean, what's a good word for it? Like unrefined and super short-sighted. So again, just extreme views on opposite sides of the issue. Again, causing extreme divisiveness amongst people. Here's the other hill to die on. The other hill to die on for the evangelicals is the LGBTQ plus community. Over the past several decades, this along with abortion have been the two things that seem to be the, the flag-waving spaces for the evangelical church. Now, at their worst, they're condemning people who are not straight to hell. That's at their worst, and we've all seen that. We've all seen the signs. We've all seen the angry people yelling these types of things. Less extreme versions try to keep couples from having equal rights. So if you're not straight and you are in a relationship, you there's like this, this fight to not allow that group of people to be able to get married and therefore have the same tax benefits that those of us who are straight get to experience. Liberals in this space have historically responded with equal amounts of hate for the opposite side, belittling those who are trying to simply follow God by opposing something they believe their holy book to say. Most people who oppose the LGBTQ plus community or, or that group of people being able to get married, things like that. Most people who oppose them, oppose them because they honestly believe the Bible says that they should. So they're honestly trying to follow God. And this is just what they believe their holy book is saying. And so those on the pro LGBTQ plus side often will be so belittling towards people on the opposite side who are just trying to live out their faith. Which leads me to another thing, which is religion, right? <laughs> which is what we talk about a lot on this podcast. And I'm not just talking about evangelicals. I'm talking evangelical. I'm talking mainline. I'm talking this new word that's been put out there, progressive faith or progressive Christianity. Just listen to this podcast as much as you want. Just go back a little ways, listen to this podcast or really any podcast that is addressing the same issues that we do. And you'll hear a myriad of disagreements around the issue of religion. I mean, post 9-11, Muslims were being victimized by Christians. Historically, most wars were started in the name of God. So if you look back historically and track the wars that have been fought in our world, so many of them started in the name of God, as crazy as that concept sounds. Within the Christian faith, thousands of denominations 
prove that we simply cannot find much common ground as we attempt to understand or honor the divine. So again, so many Christians reading the same holy book, reading the Bible, can't even agree on how to interpret or how to live that out, which has fractured so many people and fractured so many religious organizations that there's thousands upon thousands of denominations now. And again, friendships and families shattered and torn apart. I'm not coming to you as some sort of expert on this subject today, and I would never claim to be that, but I do care a great deal about it. Maybe I might care more about this than anything else. And I've been talking about it, I've been preaching on it, podcasting, organizing around the subject for nearly two decades. I've talked at length with people on all sides of every issue that's been mentioned on this episode, and I've worked with people from nearly every single organized religion, at least everyone that's recognized in our country here in America. I have worked in churches representing many different denominations, everything from mainline to charismatic to Baptist to really so many others, so many in between of even those. During my adult life, I have voted for the Republican candidate. I've also voted for the Democratic candidate. And I've even decided at one point in one presidential election not to vote at all because I just couldn't do it with a clear conscience. I personally know women who are pro-life who have had abortions. I also personally know women who identify as pro-choice who have also had abortions. Many of my closest friends and family are vaccinated and many of my closest friends and family are not. I have friends and family who identify as something other than straight and I have people very close to me who believe that being anything other than straight is a sin. So even though I don't have a bunch of letters behind my name or education to back up my thoughts. Even though I haven't at this point written any great books on the subject, I feel, I feel personally that experience is one of the greatest teachers. And through these past couple of decades that this has been so important to me, I have found at least some things that maybe can help us to start to at least begin a long, slow walk toward unity. The first thing that I think can help us in our long, slow walk toward unity is to consume the opposing view, as crazy as that sounds. Now, I'm as guilty as anyone of listening to and reading things I agree with. That's, that's what we all do, right? We know what we agree with. We know what we stand for. So those are the books that we read. Those are the podcasts that we listen to. And if you look at my bookshelf or take a peek at my downloads on my phone, you will definitely not have to guess at where I stand on just about any issue. I mean, honestly, listen to this podcast as I don't pretend to believe in things that I don't. <laughs> you know, so just if you want to know what my viewpoints are, you don't have to look very hard. However, I also intentionally listen to and read things that oppose my personal viewpoints, especially, especially, especially when friends or family recommend them. Honestly, in order for unity to begin, understanding those who think differently than us is paramount. I mean, it's so important. Just because people believe or think differently than us does not mean they are bad people, right? They are simply seeing things through a different and equally well thought out lens. 
People on the other side of what you believe are not idiots. They're just looking at things through a different lens. If we are against something, we should know in detail what it is that we are against. So many people just say, I'm against it because they heard somebody else was against it, or I'm against it because I heard some sound bites on a television station or on a podcast or in a book that I was reading. And that's, that's not fair. Basing our beliefs on a headline or a soundbite or a quote simply is not helpful. I mean, ask the people you know who you disagree with. What are some books you should be reading? What are some podcasts you should listen to in order to better understand their viewpoint? And I guarantee from my own personal experience that you will get a lot of recommendations. So you will have no lack of books and podcasts to consume. So number one, consume things from people who hold the opposing viewpoint to what you hold. That's one step toward unity. Step number two is proximity. If we're going to understand one another, we have to stand in space with one another. Find ways to get around people who are different than you. Don't, please, please, please don't do this for sake of trying to change other people's minds or to try to fix them or to convert them. Do it simply for the sake of learning and for the sake of understanding. I've probably shared this story before, but I was once on staff at this mainline church leading music, and I remember standing on the stage looking out into the congregation and seeing a bunch of white people who were fairly wealthy. So this church full of wealthy white people. And I remember just standing there just with like a sick feeling in my stomach thinking, there's no way this is what Jesus came to earth to show us how to do. Like this feels so wrong in so many ways. So I quit that job. I didn't even have a plan. I just quit it because it felt that wrong. And eventually I ended up finding the most diverse place in Wisconsin, unfortunately, which is the prison system. And I got a chance to be around people of all different religions, all different ethnicities. It brought up a whole nother conversation of why in the prison system is it more diverse, which uh, that's a whole nother topic that gets me going. But I purposefully got myself out of a situation where I was around a bunch of people who were so very like me and I purposefully got myself into a situation where I knew I would be around every single day that I went to work that I would be around people that thought different than me that had different viewpoints than me that in so many cases had even different religious beliefs than I did. I also, in that same time, founded an organization downtown in my community that worked mostly with people who were struggling with poverty and even people who were considered homeless. And I knew, again, that was another opportunity, not for me to fix people, not for me to make them well or anything like that, but for me to understand what a person is going through who's in that situation. Shortly after 9-11, my family, my kids were really little at that time, we were in a park and it was just our family and one other family. The other family happened to be a Muslim family from Saudi Arabia. And our kids started playing together, so we started talking. And in the midst of everybody, at least in a lot of the circles that I was in, everybody just saying how horrible the Muslim faith was, we invited them over for dinner. We had honest, beautiful, wonderful conversations about faith, about religion. And it was so helpful for me to hear firsthand, to create proximity with someone who was Muslim so that I could understand truly what it was that they stand for, truly what it is that they believe in. 
So when proximity is created, we start talking, and this is the key part. When proximity is created, we start talking about people instead of issues, and that will drastically change the conversation. The third thing that I want to bring up as a way to walk toward unity is to not focus on what we differ on, but focus on common ground. So what are the universal things that if I have proximity with somebody and we believe differently, what are the things that we can identify as our common ground? I know that when I focus on differences, I get defensive and I even often will get upset. And I know a lot of you are probably the same. However, all of the things I mentioned earlier, all of those issues that I mentioned earlier, those divisive things, they have spaces where common ground can be found. Let me just go through each of them real quick and give you some some general ideas of where we could find. So the first thing I mentioned was politics. So most of us, here's the common ground, most of us desire a political system that is by the people and for the people. We desire a political system that benefits those people who live here. That's our common ground. So let's start there before we move into spaces where we disagree. COVID and the vaccination, all of that debacle that we're in the midst of right now. We all, here's our common ground, we all want people to be healthy and well. There are no, I hope, there are no pro-sickness people in this world. Everybody wants people healthy. No one wants people to die. Nobody that's an anti-vaccine person wants people to die. Nobody that's pro-vaccine wants people to die. There's some common ground. So let's start our conversation there and slowly work out from that space. Start in our common spaces and work our way out. Let's jump onto the abortion one. I know you're probably thinking there's no way there's any common ground with the issue of abortion. Of course they are. Both pro-life and pro-choice supporters desire less abortions. We just simply have different ideas of how to get there. There's nobody on either side that's saying, yes, what we want is more abortions. Some of the rhetoric that gets spoken around it sometimes makes you think that way, but that simply is not true. The common ground that we have is that everybody wants less abortions, no doubt about it. LGBTQ+, all well-thinking human beings believe that every life is important and that loving relationships are good. There's your common ground. Let's work our way out from there. Religion, all religious people believe in God and want to serve that God. Let's start there and work our way out. So, Find common ground. That's going to help us walk toward unity. Because remember, unity isn't about uniformity. It's just about being together, being connected, having this understanding, even amidst our differences that we can still be unified. So the the last one that I want to bring up is simply working together. That's a crazy thought, right? People of differing opinions working together. What a, what a crazy idea. But if we really want unity, if we really want change in our world, that's what we have to do because we have to find better solutions and we have to break some of the cycles that we're in the midst of. The reality is that the vast majority of people do not live in extremes. The vast majority of the people that I know at least, but I think of people in general, the vast majority of us live in the middle. For example, politically speaking, I am in the middle, but I lean pretty hard left. I don't buy into extreme conservatism or extreme liberalism. So if we practice proximity, we will most likely discover that we are more alike than we are different. 
Because again, so many of us fall in that middle space. Many of my family and friends live in that middle space, but lean pretty hard to the right. But we're both in the middle. And so I might lean left, they might lean right, but we actually have way more in common than we're led to believe. So if we focus more on those conversations, those conversations in the middle, and less on the extreme voices that get a lot of the airtime, then we'll be able to work together. And I don't even think it's gonna be that hard. Even across religions, most non-Christian traditions have a very high view of Jesus. There's so much that we all have in common. Most Christians have a high view of meditation, which is tied to Eastern religions, such as Buddhism. Most families have people within their family who identify as something other than straight. A conversation surrounding LGBTQ plus anything would be best if that voice, if that member of the family were present. That person who's not straight should be in the room during that conversation because again, proximity matters. And when it becomes about a human being as opposed to about an issue, then we can start identifying how we can work together to create solutions that are actually going to work. The best conversations, bar none, the best conversations on abortion that I have had, both pro-choice and pro-life, have been with people on both sides of the issue have actually had abortions. They've actually felt it, they've went through it. They've dealt with that heartache, with that decision. Those people need to be in the room when we're talking about issues of abortion. It changes the conversation drastically. Work together to come up with solutions. Be across the table with people who think differently. So consume the view of people who oppose your viewpoint. Gain proximity. Get close to people who are different than you. Find common ground in the midst of all your differences. Where is the commonality? And then come together to work together to find better solutions, ultimately breaking so many cycles that have proven destructive in our world for years and years. Friends, the bottom line is this. We will be able to be the answer to Jesus' prayer as soon as we begin caring better for one another. As soon as these divides change from issues to human beings, everything changes. I used to have this friend, her name was Judy, and I remember there was this particular person that was in both of our lives at the time, and this person had some really strong religious beliefs. And he was so strong when he would say them that people would get offended, people would leave our community. It was just this pattern over and over and over. And I remember my friend Judy at one point, she said, he might be right, but he is dead right. What she meant is that even if he's right, even if he's right on these, this religious jargon that he's putting out there into the world, even if he's actually right on it, He's not living it out in the way that it should be lived out. He's living it out in a way that's drastically hurting people. So she said, if he's right, he's dead right. So if you are right and you're hurting and excluding and isolating, are you really that right after all? You may be right biblically in your own mind, but your life may look nothing like the person that you claim to follow. So again, are you really all that right? You may believe you are right politically, but you're fracturing your family and friends, so are you really all that right after all? If we want to be the answer to Jesus' prayer, if we actually want to do this work, we have to stop being concerned about all of our rightness 
and start being concerned simply about being concerned. It's always great to be with you. Thank you so much for listening. Of course, if you want to support this podcast, the best way you can do that is simply to subscribe to it, give it a five-star rating, and write a review. 